0: Because he's a mummy, right? So if we get enough toilet paper, we can just wrap you right up. Pondering the mysteries of the universe, this is the War Games Orchard. Welcome to the show, it's Nathan and GJ with you. We're back in action together for the first time since Ulthuan rose from the oceans, it seems. G.J., it's so good to be back and chatting together. You've been doing a fantastic job on your wonderful solo episodes, really saving my bacon and making sure this podcast continues to tick on. We got all sorts of news and updates for you guys, as well as we're going to tackle some of the most pressing questions ever to grace a Warhammer podcast. And I have crafted these questions. I spent days, months even, just coming up with these, and I'm I'm sure you guys are going to love them. They are uh, somewhat silly, but I think they cut to the very core of what all of us Warhammer players are thinking about. Before we do that, though, let's jump in with some news and some hobby. And GJ, I know you're dying for it, so hit us up. What have (laughs) you been up to?
1: It's been so long since uh, we've talked together about this, and um... Yeah, it's, it's I haven't been sitting idly by, I can tell you. I've been uh, doing a lot of painting, mostly High Elves, for the Gathering of Mighty Painters challenge. I can't even remember what the last time was that we spoke. I do remember telling you that I painted those uh, the 40-something spearmen in a month, but that was all, already a couple of months ago. After that, for the challenge, I did Imrik on his Dragon, but I got ill. This was in April, so I only finished the Dragon, which was fine because it was Monster Month and I could do the character later. And then I did, um, for the next month, another unit, 20 Phoenix Guard, 10 of the uh, older 4th edition models and another 10 of the plastic box sets. and I thought what well, they, they do have a, quite a big skill difference, but if you just put them together in the same unit and you um, rank them up with fellows of their kind, then it doesn't even present that much of a problem if you look at it from uh, a little ways away. So I was quite happy about that. Uh, and then I've been doing um, a characters for this month. Uh, there's been a high elf mage on a horse that I was planning on doing. And then I found out that one of the Hammer groups, they had a painting contest, uh, which is centered all the way all around Gary Morley's miniatures. Uh, Gary Morley, uh, one of the famous Warhammer sculptors, for those who don't know. And I would be amongst those uh, at some point in my Warhammer career because I couldn't care less who sculpted what, but uh, now nah, since it, I've been back into the hobby, I've been more interested in who sculpted which miniatures. And uh, Gary Morley also did some lovely elves. He's also the guy who did uh, Nagash, the uh, the clown-faced one. And uh, this painting challenge, this painting competition, is uh, use. Paint any number of Gary Morley's miniatures and you put them up on the group and then he will pick a winner and the winner will get a prize. Now I don't expect to win anything, but that was a good excuse for me to gather some more Gary Morley elves. I got a couple of those uh, uh, hero hammer era wizards on foot. Um, I have the three mounted heroes for the... Uh, which one was it again? Uh, the first of the campaign packs, the Grudge of Drong. You have these three mounted high elf heroes. Uh, one of them I already did. The other one I am painting now, and uh, I got one more lined up. And then I will put all those Gary Morley minis together in the same sing- in a single picture and um, upload that as my entry. So uh, that's mostly high elves, and then in between I've been doing some other stuff because I had a Couple of games lined up, uh, played some Chaos versus High Elves against uh, that guy from my hometown who uh, bought some minis of me that one day back in, I don't remember when it was, but uh, afterwards we made some jokes about it, that uh, I was like a, uh, a wholesome drug dealer, except that instead of drugs I was dealing Warhammer which is a uh, also very addictive, but in a different way. And of course, it's much more expensive than just simply doing drugs, I guess. Uh, and then the next day, and I was really excited about that, I met up with my high school buddy and um, we played the first day of our Border Princess Escalation campaign. Uh, you may remember I talked about that it was a long time ago, somewhere in the end of last year. I had uh, we had devised a rule set where we each start out with four or five hundred points armies, and we use those uh, that that border princes uh, campaign table at the back of the rule book, the uh, sixth edition Warhammer rule book, and we just roll up some extra territories, and they give us access to items and points and. Uh, unit slots and everything and then we can just build our armies from there um and then after each game we uh well during each game we anti a territory and we roll three more and then depending on victory points uh, the uh, you get to go home with between one and four of those territories And um, yeah, we had a a lovely day playing those games and then a lovely day after that uh, at least I had deciding what I wanted to put into my armies next. So now I have some more skinks lined up for my lizardmen, got some chaos warriors, I uh, uh, brought some uh, some more ogres uh, and I decided I did have a dark elf army originally but I decided to switch it up to the Cult uh, of Slanesh force. I was fortunate enough to find a witch elf in my collection that had a sword missing, so I could convert her with a, uh, what are they called, the demonettes? Uh, one of those uh, plastic demonettes sprue banners. Um, so now I have a witch elf with a demonet banner, a Slanesh banner, and the other witch elf with a regular Kane banner, I guess it is. And I can switch out the banners uh, for my units and, uh, yeah, feel them as either regular dark elf witches or cult of Slaanesh. um Yeah, I think that's mostly it. Uh, I, I don't really remember what else I did. I, I do have an Instagram, so if you want to check out what I've been doing lately, it's uh, GJ's workshop all. Uh, without spaces or, or any uh, weird symbols or anything um, and it always surprises me how many likes i get on high elf miniatures especially compared to uh, to other miniatures so apparently there are a lot of high elf fans on instagram i guess something that we can take away from this
0: see i would never have <laughs> guessed that <laughs> <laughs> You have been a busy, busy boy. Wow, that is a lot of stuff, DJ. Yeah,
1: and now it's your turn to allow me to catch my breath a little bit. Okay, okay, (laughs) well, here's, here's what I can say. I've done
0: more playing than painting, though I had, so it's been a while since we've done one of these updates. So let me think here. The first thing that I did a little while back was we had our first game day for our third edition 40k summer campaign that my buddy Patrick is running. And I went one in one in that game day. We played two games each. Uh, These were 750 point city fight 40k games. They were lots and lots of fun. It's the kind of thing that it comes back to you pretty quick, I think. The, the old style 40k. It, when you grew up with it like I did. Especially 3rd edition where it lasted so long. And uh, I've been painting up some Crimson fists for that. I actually had to play with some unpainted miniatures. Because I just ran out of time to, to paint everything. But I've done some work in the meantime between our this past game and the next game. Which isn't until July. So my hope is that I can have about 750 points done for next time. Of course, at that point, we'll be on to 1,000-point games, so I'll still be using miniatures that aren't painted. But if I can keep just behind of where everyone else is, (laughs) I'll be happy. And let me think here. Oh, yes. Uh, So one thing that I've been doing is playing some one-page fantasy skirmish and that is the uh not age of sigmar game published by one page rules and it's kind of the small version of of that and i have to say i absolutely love it i think it's a great rule set it's age of sigmar simplified with a lot of just changes that are quality of life things basically so i've been really really enjoying that I've been playing my Beastmen versus my father-in-law's Lizardmen, and uh, he is very, very into 3D printing, and he's very, very good at it as well. Like, he's been doing it now since, I want to say, around the start of the year, and he's gone from making kind of those very simple tutorial objects that they show you to being able to print high-quality miniatures on, like, a filament printer which is wild, right? Like usually you see those ones and they're, they're done in resin. And uh, he's actually making his own website so he can kind of walk people through how to get these really high quality miniatures through a filament printer, which is a lot cheaper than a resin printer and a lot less gross, I want to say. Because you don't have to work with resin. You don't have to worry about the off gases and all the, the nastiness that comes with resin. So that's going to be really cool. As soon as he gets that up, I'm going to I'll link it on our Facebook and I'll share the link on the podcast uh, because he's really, really good and he knows what he's doing. So if you're into 3D printing and you want to know how to get good 3D prints out of not a super expensive 3D printer, he is your man. Uh, he's got a whole Ton of lizardmen printed out, as well as a bunch of other miniatures that just kind of caught his fancy. He's got a full terrain set now, which is done three D printed as well in kind of a Lustrian theme. It's very, very cool. It's really weird, uh, a little bit, to be playing war games with your father in law, but it's a lot of fun. He's a very good sport. Uh, I actually won the last two games that we played, so I'm that might be my greatest winning streak of all time. We'll see. <laughs> If, if that lasts at all, but I've been having an absolute blast. Would super recommend the one-page rules. I want to try out the larger version as well as the Regiment's version, which is kind of the Warhammer fantasy of the one-page rules. But I am going to do at least an episode on the one-page fantasy skirmish because I think a lot of people would enjoy it as kind of a quicker, faster version of something like Mordheim. And uh, that'll be coming out... Hopefully, pretty soon. I want to do that episode while it's all fresh in my head. And I've just got the full rule book, which you normally need to be on the Patreon to get for one page rules. But my father in law printed me a copy. So, one page if you're listening, sorry. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing, which is more playing than usual, which is really nice. Really nice and way more winning than usual. Of the last four games I've played, I've won three of them. And uh, that's outstanding. I I really think. I might be turning the corner here. Maybe I'm just a really late bloomer to Wargaming. It just took me like 30 years, but now I'm going to be unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> so I, think that's, I think that's it for, for me for, for hobby. Yeah. Uh, in the news category, so last week I mentioned that we're going to be changing up the way that this podcast is released. And it's mostly a symptom of... I am busier than I was when I started this podcast, and the things that are taking my energy are taking a lot of my creative energies, which is good and bad. Uh, I'm really, I've got a really great situation right now with the the job that I've entered into. It's it's very dynamic, it's very fun in a lot of ways, and it's very creative. But it doesn't always leave me with a full tank to to do creative stuff on my own. And so I just wanted to kind of shed a little bit more light on that. And it's basically, uh, it comes down to, I've been very beholden to myself since this podcast started to do it weekly and to do it regularly and keep up with it and everything like that. And I just don't need that stress right now. But since GJ, being the absolute wonderful person that he is, has offered to keep doing his solo episodes beyond the wonderful series that he's been doing on the boxed campaigns of 5th edition. And he's got some ideas for some really cool bonus episodes in the future. And so that's going to kind of help us fill in some of that scheduling gap where I'm just not going to be able to do it. I still can't promise that it will be every week, but it will be as many times as the two of us can manage. And of course, we're going to try and do as many of these episodes together as we can, because those are the most fun for both of us. And uh, a big thank you to everyone who is a listener. Uh, If you are a Patreon member, just a reminder that we are going to put a pause on the Patreon at the end of this month. I'm not going to remove the Patreon or anything like that. It's not going to be down, but it's not going to be... You're not going to be charged for it if you're a Patreon member. It's going to be basically in stasis. And it might be something that we revisit in the future. I can't say for sure. But again, a huge thank you. The, the Patreon has done so much more than I ever dreamed of in terms of, of paying for the hosting costs and allowing us to, to have some extra fun. So yeah, that's about all I wanted to say in terms of extra news like that. I think we can jump into our main topic today. And uh, I don't yes, know if I should uh, even call I may
1: it. also. It. Oh, um, yeah. Share one news item I forgot to mention uh, just earlier, it's just a tiny thing. But in November, um, someone from the Dutch Warhammer group said it's going to be time that we have our own Dutch Oldhammer Games Day planned. So uh, I, of course, jumped on the occasion and said, hey, mate, if you need any help, let me know. So what we're going to do is uh, we already have a venue and we've narrowed it down to two possible dates. It's going to be either the 26th, I believe, or the um, the two weeks earlier, the 12th of November. Uh, It's gonna be on a Saturday, uh, a whole day of just playing games, uh, all kinds of games, people are bringing their own. Um, He's asked me to organize a, Warhammer event, I'm going to do a uh, campaign um, trying that out for the first time, like a small escalation campaign where we uh, battle for a a certain magic item that has yet to be disclosed in the Border Princess and yeah, that's uh, Going to be great fun. It's going to be the first time for me that I've ever done something like this. Participated in a, in the organizing of a Warhammer event, and I'm looking quite forward to that. So if you're in the area, and then this can be the, the broad area like maybe in in northern Europe, and you have uh, nothing to do in November, then please come over. You can uh, find the event. It's called. And now I should look this up before I make any mistakes. Um, it is called the Dutch Oldhammer and I'll quickly go to Facebook. Dutch Oldhammer is the website as in a convention.
0: Nice. Nice. Oh, that's so exciting. Ah, oh, you're going to have an absolute blast.
1: I already am having an absolute blast and we haven't even Decided when the events going to be yet. So uh, <laughs> yeah, this, it's uh, it's it's going to be great. Uh, I have no idea how many people will show up or anything, but uh, we've gotten some uh, great uh, positive reviews uh um, um well not reviews. Uh, what are they called? Uh, responses uh, from people when we asked, uh, "Is anybody interested in this?" And uh, yeah. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. So probably more news updates on that in the future and how it's going or what we're going to do with the, uh, at least my part of the organization. But, uh, for now, that's just something that I wanted to mention. So, uh, Nathan, uh, are you free in November? Oh, buddy. Um, well, <laughs> here's
0: the thing. If, if you can get me out of school, uh, and get me across the ocean, and help me find my way. <laughs> uh yes, absolutely. <laughs> just just three tiny little things and uh, I will be down for this.
1: Well, you didn't say anything about having to go back to school or return journey, so uh Oh, yeah, I you got me on. My... <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I'll have to I have to apologize to my wife that we uh we have to live in the Netherlands now cuz I, I did he got me on a technicality there. <laughs> <laughs> oh oh she heard that uh-oh all right. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right well that's so cool i am uh i'm yeah. super excited for that and uh for any of our european listeners what a, a great opportunity to to go and uh play some games and meet gj that'd be that'd be awesome
1: yeah i, I promise i won't bite
0: <laughs> all right well let's Let's hit on our main topic today, and that is silly Warhammer questions, because that can be a topic. (laughs) All right, DJ, I have not shared these questions with you beforehand because it seemed like better to keep them as a surprise. And I was worried that if you saw these, you might be like, why are we doing this as an episode? (laughs) So we're going to dive right in here. The first one is if you could have a costume, and this is like a full professionally made costume, of any Warhammer human or humanoid creature, what would you choose? So this can just be like a set of armor for something really cool, or this could be like a whole like, if you wanted to dress up as a Saurus, that could
1: could be a thing. There are so many cool things. Mm -hmm. Um... Well, I can tell you what I don't want to be, which is a skeleton. Because, <laughs> that's fair. Uh, that's a hard one. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it's a very permanent it's per- costume. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, uh, not yet, at least. Mm. No. Um, I. Ooh, let me think. Well you're thinking, let me let
0: me tell you let well, me we yeah, tell yeah, you mine. Because I, I, I went for something simple here because I was thinking of the armors, because some of the armors for some of these are so good, right? Like can you imagine having like a full set of like chaos warrior armor. You know, even if it was foam core, right? Because we're talking about costumes. We're not talking about like the actual thing. Which is good because I don't think you can take off chaos armor once you put it on. i, I think <laughs> it's permanent. So you, you want this to be a costume. But no, I settled on uh Dark Elf and specifically Dark Elf Corsair. I just love their armor so much, either like the Hero Hammer version or the kind of later plastic ones. They just look so good and like so sleek and just nasty looking. And I love the idea of having the Sea Dragon cloak to just like, yeah, pull over. And I, I, think, I'm, I think I'm kind of a Dark Elf at heart. So that's that's kind of my, my go-to for this one.
1: Well, that's a... Great choice. I was thinking um, myself also about what what is an army that I really like and then, uh, of course, I have to uh, revert back to my beloved Tomb Kings and, well, Setra's outfit uh, on a chariot with those uh, golden greaves and that big crown and the big uh, collar with all these different colors and, and serpents uh, molded onto them and everything. Uh, yeah, if you include the chariot with the uh, four skeletal steeds, then uh, I'm definitely in for that one. Oh,
0: I didn't think about the accessories like that. Yeah, you could have a giant chariot pulled by four skeletal horses. Yeah, that would change my answer a little bit, too. I like <laughs> Cetra, though, because I feel like we can we might be able to do this somewhat on the cheap. Because he's a mummy, right? So we, if we get enough toilet paper, we can just wrap you right up there. <laughs> I, I can't speak to the golden boots and and uh, his all of his accessories, but I think that's a that's, yeah. It's not an impossible dream.
1: <laughs> well, uh, that's that's the uh, fourth edition setra model. That's just uh, a roll of toilet paper and a flail of skulls.
0: Yes, yes, um, yes.
1: Yeah. But th- that was actually uh, funny that you mentioned toilet paper a couple of years ago. There was this commercial for a big Dutch. Uh, um, like like a uh, sort of a, the Dutch version of Amazon, um, a local brand, and they had this commercial on television about a man who forgot to get his son a Halloween costume, so uh, or maybe his birthday present, I don't know. So he just got a roll of toilet paper and he said, "Oh, it's a mummy costume." <laughs> and then this guy, this this little child, showed up at school saying just as excited as his daddy was but very well acted Uh, of course not being excited at all it's a mummy suit and uh what the uh the gist of this was uh we have next day delivery so if you need anything just uh, order it from us and uh, it will be there in time so you don't have to resort to toilet paper to dress your child up for school (laughs) <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I, I was afraid when you mentioned toilet paper that you uh, had maybe seen this commercial or something. But
0: uh... no, no, it's it's just. Uh, I I think living through a very uh, a modest childhood, it was it was always <laughs> a, a a suggestion for Halloween costumes. I think my my stepdad in particular was very fond of the idea of just like yeah wrapping me up in toilet paper and clothespins and just sending me out into the world. My mom usually always made me a costume, though, so I I did quite well. I never had to actually do
1: that. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I was uh, afraid for a moment there that you were actually that kid in a mummy costume.
0: (laughs) No, no. Man, the, the few years, though, that I was still going out for Halloween, but had already discovered Warhammer, I would have given up at least one limb for a lizardman costume. Like it wouldn't even need <laughs> it to be a good one. Like I'm not even talking about like professionally made. Like just I don't know, paint paint me up like with face paint to to look like a skink and I would have been the happiest kid in the whole world.
1: I I thought for a moment, by the way, uh, that you were going to say Heinrich Kemmler because you wanted that Heinrich Kemmler hat. <laughs> the
0: Heinrich Kemmler thing is absolutely a product of this podcast. I, I was never known for my love of Heinrich Kemmler before this podcast, but it was the first episode that did really well. And I, I think I just kind of developed a love for for old Heinrich and his story and stuff. And his hat is the best hat in Warhammer fantasy. I will fight anyone. On that fact, I, I know Nagash has like the big like skeleton Pope hat, but no, Heinrich Kemmler's hat is just pure class. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is going so well already. I love this episode. All right. All right. Let's let's move on to the second question here. Now, you and I, we are both huge fans of Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to sneak some Lord of the Rings in here because my wife and I have been talking about doing a rewatch of the movies. Uh, it's something that we were doing annually for a little while, but we got out of the habit and we're, we're thinking about going back and taking the plunge again soon because they're so, so good. And this is, of course, the extended editions, because if you're going to do something, do it right. And uh, I was thinking about Sauron and his minions. And how do you think they would fare in the Warhammer world? Do you think he could carve out his own little niche or do you think there is just bigger, nastier things if you're heading to Warhammer?
1: Oh, that's a good one. Now, I think he will definitely be able to carve out his niche, especially in the time when he still had the ring. And I assume we are talking about uh, Sauron at full Ooh, power here like he yeah, was at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, let's go full
0: power, Sauron.
1: Yeah, then he will definitely be able to uh, to carve out his, his empire and maybe... Uh, uh, well, going by Lord of the Rings lore, he won't be able to corrupt like the uh, High Elves of Oath 1, although he might definitely try. But he will be able to get uh, behind the throne of the Emperor and whisper those uh, little things in his ear that will um, make him the beloved advisor and and give him all that power behind the throne uh, kind of thing. And maybe if he actually gets to the point where he has to reveal himself and fight, and uh, he still has the ring, and he can amass a couple of armies of orcs, uh, maybe gather the greenskins. There have been some pretty devastating wars, and these have just been led by greenskins. So if you can get someone with, actual intelligence to lead them to hurt them then uh yeah i think he will definitely be a force to be reckoned with can, can i give you a slight
0: counterpoint on that one of course I, of I was course. thinking about yes this. i was hoping you would yeah so it, it, it comes down to the orcs because the the orcs of of sauron's middle earth are very different from the orcs of the warhammer world i yes. think i think he would hate the orcs of the Warhammer world. Because Sauron, I mean, at his core, he's all about order. Right? He wants this ordered world. He just wants his version of it. And his orcs are very much, they're small and they're weaker than the Warhammer orcs, but they're also a little bit better organized and and more, I guess, malleable to his will. I'm just not yes. sure if he could influence the orcs of Warhammer like he could. His own minions, but what I, I I do think you're right that he would do very well in the Warhammer world, but I think it's almost he becomes the leader of men as opposed to necessarily like the the gribbly beasts, or perhaps somewhere in the the darklands, right, with maybe like the the goblin tribes where I think they would be maybe a little bit more easy to dominate and maybe where the hobgoblins are, those kind of things I don't know, but no, I just sure. i I just think that the orcs would really get on his nerves a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The skaven would be an interesting one too, but I, I their power structure is so put in place already. Yeah, that I, I just don't know that he'd be able to get in there. And they're they're very um, racist, I guess. Also the skaven, right? Like they're very much like oh yeah, they, they, skaven are the, the the pinnacle of creation. So I, I don't know. Although Sauron can alter his appearance too. I was going to say that. Yes. So if he, if Sauron alters his appearance, then maybe the Skaven are a great choice for him, because they're, they're are I think maybe the most similar creatures to the orcs and goblins of Warhammer or um, Middle Middle Earth. Earth, because they're they're nasty and they're they're smallish, they're easily dominated, but they're conniving. They do enjoy man flesh. I mean, most things in Warhammer enjoy man flesh. So you're you're pretty good there. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh,
1: how about this? What if Sauron has already infiltrated the Warhammer world in the shape of um, uh, what's he called? The the, the plague lord uh, Nurglitch.
0: Was Ooh. it Nurglitch
1: who, who, who carved his way onto the Council of Thirteen?
0: Yes, yes, he was. Yeah, the Clan Pestilence. When they uh, when they emerged from Lustria in the Southlands, yeah, yeah, that Threatening would be to kill interesting. Kill everybody
1: with that uh, with that yellow fever or whatever he had. Uh, mm-hmm. Being this uh, immortal demigod himself, yeah. Sauron's very
0: pragmatic too, so I could, I think, I don't think he would come up with the plague thing on his own. But when he saw like what his followers could do and the natural Skaven affinity for, for weaponizing disease. I think he'd be, oh, yeah, he that.
1: He jumped right on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that's really good. That's really good. Now allow me to spin this around a little bit further okay. because, um, the Warhammer world already has a Sauron and, uh, his name is of course, Nagash. Haha, <laughs> yes. Have you ever thought about that? Because there I are did. some great parallels between Sauron and Nagash. Uh, Nagash pours his, his life into his crown, Sauron into his ring. Um, uh, they both have nine servants. the ring raids and and Nagash has his uh, uh, what are they called the uh, the Mortarks? Archon, the uh, Mortarks, yeah, thanks no um, they uh, they both get defeated and then rise up again. Uh, they're both called the Necromancer. Oh wow. I had so, not yeah. thought about
0: all these parallels. <laughs>
1: Okay. Yeah. 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 This, this Mr. Tolkien, he should really stop stealing stuff from other people. Jeez. Oh, uh, come on. Yeah.
0: I'm I'm, I'm surprised that <laughs> the uh, GW lawyers haven't haven't uh, descended on them. Man, how long can they get away with this blatant blatant ripoff? <laughs> you know what was funny? I I saw the parallel, but not to that deep level that that you've just described. And I was actually going to ask you, who do you think would win in a fight <laughs> between the two oh, of them? Because that's how my oh. brain works.
1: Yeah, then I think if that's going to happen, um, then I would have to give Sauron the benefit of the doubt, simply because he is a celestial being and Nagesh is just a human that certainly has acquired great powers, but in the end, um, there's still a, a level of difference there.
0: Man, throw in some shit. that would work here. into his favor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just, just a human. Nagesh, the great necromancer, just a human. Oh, my goodness, the disrespect. I, <laughs> I, I think it's a good fight. I think maybe I, Nagesh... I am going to get a
1: skeleton costume now. I'm, I'm <laughs> <all right. laughs>
0: I think Nagesh, peak of his powers versus Sauron, peak of his powers, is a, is a really good fight because actually, I think they're both around the same height. If you go by Nagash's fourth edition model, and this is me kind of comparing Games Workshop models, and I know Lord of the Rings is a bit smaller scale than Warhammer, but I, I do think that would be a heck of a fight. Yeah, they are,
1: they are comparable, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, Okay. Would you rather have Nagash's outfit or Sauron's outfit? And, and with Sauron, let's, let's think of like the, the sweet armor that he's wearing in the movies. Because with Nagash, oh, this, you get the sweet uh, claw, and you get his staff, yeah. and you get his books, uh, and you get his hat, which is a big plus. With Sauron, you get the like the, the great looking set of armor. You get his giant mace, and you get the ring.
1: And we are talking here about the fourth edition uh, Nagash, right? Not the. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. We're talking about uh, the proper
0: Nagash. Yeah. Not, yeah, not whatever yeah. poser skeleton Ooh. or
1: yeah then I think I will go with uh, Nagash in the end yeah, yeah because you will. Uh, yeah it's it's uh, just a bit more colorful and so sort of on get that style, it's, it's, yeah it's got this this horse-like face and um Nagash is just their open face, no visor or anything uh, yeah I'll, mm-hmm. I'll go with
0: Nagash good, good choice, good choice, proper choice, definitely. all right, and I
1: assume you will too.
0: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I was <laughs> definitely Team Nagash. I love Sauron. I think he's a great character. But yeah, Team. Oh,
1: N'Gash. absolutely! Yeah, yeah.
0: All right. So that was that was fruitful. I feel like we got a lot. I, I guess this is the problem when you have two Lord of the Rings fans. Just, <laughs> we got like four <laughs> questions out of that. I really, I really enjoyed that. All right. So this is something that kind of came to me this morning, and it is really the emphasis of of why I was doing this episode because. I didn't think there was enough here for a full episode on this own, but I thought it was a neat question. So you are hired to add an artillery piece to an army that never got one. So wood elves, vampire counts, beastmen. What is it, and what does it look like? You don't have to come up with rules for it, just like a g- vague general concept of, of what this thing could
1: be. All right, then I will... Um... I toss between vampire counts and beastmen. Mm, okay. Uh, because I think wood else with an artillery piece that is made of wood will make the dryads angry, and uh, it doesn't really work that well in a closely packed forest. And well, of course, we already have an undead war machine with the tomb kings, and it was yeah. part of the vampire control. So I am going with a beastman war machine. Okay. And that has to be something that is uh, totally fun and crazy and out there. It is uh, probably just like the ogre cannon and scrap launcher pulled by a big beastie. Maybe it is sort of a... Dare I even say mounted on it on a chariot like a dust court chariot, so that it can actually do some damage in combat because that's what beastmen are all about. And it would probably be not like a stone thrower or anything, but something short range, something that can um that has some some natural and also of course beastly shapes to it. Um, I don't really know what is going to be beyond that it's it's i think i can come up with something if you give me enough time <laughs> yeah. but uh, i don't know if you want to hear me rambling about that uh, uh, probably something along the lines of like the old chaos dwarf tenderizer or something uh, something really close range that can that can hit that can pack a punch like uh, a battering ram pulled by boars uh, made out of uh, angors tied together or something uh, that will scatter when they hit the units uh, that they are up against let's do something like that
0: so you and i have have a similar kind of thinking pattern when it comes to this because my first inclination was Something like Grond from Lord of the Rings for the beastmen, <laughs> and I know it's I, my my question was was about artillery, but it was still the first thing that came to mind that I would love to see something with like just a giant Minotaur skull on it, right? Like a giant battering ram, and then I was thinking about the Chaos Dwarf tenderizer, and I was like, what if you combined Grond with like the tenderizer, right? So you have a big unit of like, I don't know, as many Ungor as you want, just having to push this thing, and uh, it would just be so nasty and visceral and and yeah it's it's all about just pushing it into the enemy and just mincing them to bits right so i'm glad you got (laughs) i'm glad you got to the same place with it that's how we're going
1: to do it yeah
0: yeah artillery wise when i was thinking about this it was i wanted to go beastmen as well and i ran into the same problem that i think you ran into which is it's such a close combat up close and personal type of army that having that artillery feels a little bit off. So you either have to do something where, yeah, like you mount it on a chariot. So you you end up with something kind of like the ogre iron blaster, or, or maybe you do something like the scrap launcher, except you've got like a razor gore instead of the rhinox or something like that. So I kind of abandoned that. And I was thinking about the wood elves and yeah, the wood elves are so hard because almost nothing makes sense. And for a second, I thought about like, That sweet um, Falconer unit that they used to have. I was like, what if they had like a kind of like this giant aviary that they they wheel onto the battlefield and they let the birds out and the group birds go around and peck people. (laughs) So I was thinking about that for a while. I thought that might be a cool model. Uh, And then for vampire counts, I was trying to think of something that wouldn't be just the screaming skull catapult. Because, I mean, the Screaming Skull Catapult, yes, when the undead were together, that was, you know, that was the undead uh, war machine. And then it became the Tomb King's war machine. You don't want to just do the same thing. So my thought, I had kind of two thoughts for Vampire Counts. The first one was basically a, like a smaller siege tower that would be pushed by a unit. But what makes this an artillery piece is it would work kind of like the Dwarven flame cannon. So it'd be like this this big skull mouth, and it would be kind of um, it would it would shoot uh, like this poisonous, burning blood onto the enemy, or maybe just burning like boiling blood. And I thought you could tie that in with some of the like the vampire units in the game. And like, if a unit gets hit with this thing, and there's there's still models left in this unit afterwards, any vampire units that are in combat with this unit are subject to frenzy because they're covered in blood and the vampires are just like, oh yeah, like let's get them. I'm so hungry. Uh, so Love that was my, my first thought. The other thing that I thought, just because I think it would look really, really cool, is a classic ballista or bolt thrower for the vampire counts, just crewed by like Sylvanian militia or, or skeletons or zombies, whatever you want to do with that. And I just, I just think it would be really cool to have a ballista where like, the The opening where the the bolt comes out is like this giant skull. So the skull throws it, and then maybe you could make it so that if you wanted to give it some flavor, that like it's enchanted with death magic or something like that. I just think it would be a cool model or aesthetic on the table.
1: Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I I was also thinking about um, while you were talking. My my brain has not been sitting idly. <laughs> uh i was thinking also about something for the vampires and my mind then went to one of the units in the zombie pirates list which are the deck droppers mm-hmm. and these are uh zombies carried around by fell so uh, just this flying cavalry unit i believe and um i thought maybe we could do something like that like uh have a big nasty beastie carry something around and drop it from up top on the battlefield, um, where it can do some shenanigans, like maybe something, uh, including that blood thing of yours, but that would then again work like a catapult, or maybe something that can even be used into in close combat or a way to put a unit of troops uh, somewhere, and it's not really an artillery piece, but it's more like uh, getting your skeletons on the other side of the battlefield. Not that vampire guys would need that because they can just raise them wherever, I guess, but uh Yeah, something like that uh might be interesting, I guess.
0: I'm into it. I'm really into it. I, I love the fell bats, I love the deck droppers. I think that's a really cool idea. Yeah, some kind of incorporation of of that the the, the big flying beasties or Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of good options. I think the vampire Counts have all three of those armies definitely lend themselves to artillery the best uh, because they yeah. s- can sort of fight in a way that is recognizable as opposed to the, the Beastmen and the, the, the Wood Elves who are much more come out of the woods, mess you up, and go back into the woods. Yeah, yeah, nice. All right. GJ, this is another question that I handpicked for the two of us because we are both big Orc and Goblin fans. Who is the greatest Orc and Goblin character by model? of all time
1: um well if you ask him then it's probably going to be Grimgore because he's (laughs) the best or
0: is the best
1: uh but i am inclined to go for one of the newer models okay and uh this is one i recently purchased and still on its way i'm going to pick it up on wednesday and i think uh, so, so i haven't seen the person yet but i think from just looking at the pictures my choice is going to be the 8th edition uh, Corbett Ironclaw.
0: Oh, he's a good looking character. His boar is so big and beefy. Yeah. All right. It That's is. And there's so
1: much, so much characterful detail on that. Just the way he's sitting on that boar with his axe and his, his arm pointing and that skull rack, like this back banner that you saw a lot of in the Hero Hammer era. But uh, then later on, it just disappeared and then. He brings it back again. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be my choice. Just going by model.
0: Great choice. Great choice. So, you know what I love about Gorbad, that particular Gorbad, is the fact that he has Solon's Fang just on that back banner. Yeah. Like the Runefang's one of the most dangerous magic items in the entirety of the Empire and he's just like, no, my stuff's better. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna keep this as a trophy. Like, I'm not even gonna use this thing. <laughs> I just love that, right? <laughs> it's very orky. <laughs> uh, I suppose he, he couldn't be seen with a piddly human weapon. That that wouldn't look good. No, of good. course. Yeah, so he needs a, a proper chopper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, I'm gonna do uh, just a, a, a quick soliloquy on my honorable mention here, and uh, this I actually have you to thank in, in part for this, and that is uh, Morglum Neck Snapper. Oh yeah! You you had found yeah. a, a. Did you paint that Morgan Neps next? No, I didn't. It?
1: No, I I got him uh, painted in a uh, second hand. I don't know okay. where I got it from, but probably in a lot of something.
0: Yeah. So yeah. GJ yeah, GJ said he GJ he, sent was, me a, he was
1: very well painted. Yeah, you were right.
0: Yeah, a, a incredible little care package full of of wonderful goodies, and amongst the wonderful goodies was a. Morgulm Neck Snapper, who is painted so well, it's so rare that I ever get something that is painted that I don't immediately think about repainting. And I looked at this guy and I was just like, he's fantastic. I'm keeping, I am keeping him exactly as is. And the funny thing about Morgulm Neck Snapper, and the reason I love that model so much is uh, the first Orc and Goblin character I ever bought was Morgulm Neck Snapper. And the model that I got had two of the same Arm. It was just, I, I, I guess, a issue that two of two of the left or right arms got into his blister. And I bought him not from a games workshop or from just a little hobby store near where my grandparents used to live. And so there wasn't like a really way to go back and you know exchange him or, or do anything like that. And his arms are so similar. In fact, they're both just holding these big beefy axes. That I, I and it fit, so I just stuck uh, the 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 second. I think it was a second right arm on his left side, and you know if you were looking at it from you know more than a couple feet away, it really didn't make a difference. It was just really funny. So for years I had this Morglum neck snapper with two right arms, and uh, he he sadly went somewhere. I think he eventually ended up in pieces and in a in a bits box, and I I sold that bits box and. So he was he was out of my life for a while, but now he's back in, and I'm, I'm very pleased about that, because uh, he's going to be leading my fifth edition uh, Orcs and Goblins from this point forward. I'm probably going to take him as the special character, which is a mistake. Don't do that, but I'm going to do it because I love him. And so my real answer, after all that, is Grom the Paunch. I just love oh, yeah. that fat which little goblin. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, there's so many things you can say about him. His chariot is so dope. His sculpt is so characterful the little guy i think niblet maybe on yeah yeah on his chariot he's just so maniacally happy right that's a goblin who's just living his best life on that chariot (laughs) with grom and i just love the story so much right it's such a quintessentially orc and goblin story because it makes no sense whatsoever but it still ends in huge devastation across, like, two empires. Yes. Uh, so, Gr- Grom the Paunch is my my pick for that. I mean, the Orc and Goblin one, I wanted to do this question because all of the characters are so good. And they all have such great expressions and great poses. And there's really not a lot of wrong answers. I have a no, Grimgor who leads my kind of more modern Orc and Goblin army. and. Man, I don't have a problem with Warhammer or anything, just like I have to differentiate between my era-appropriate Orc and Goblin army and then my other Orc and Goblin army. This is not an issue. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, he was one of my favorite models that I've ever painted, though, that, that Grimgore. I did a nice kind of checkerboard pattern on uh, Gitsnick because it was a nice flat surface and I love checkerboard patterns. And uh, so he's one of my favorites of all time. I just have so many oh, good awesome. memories with Orc and Goblin characters that I wanted to, wanted to bring it up. Who who leads your orcs and goblins? Do you have a, a a like a boss that you built, or do you have one of the characters?
1: It depends, but mostly, uh, most often, it's also Grimgor. Uh, nice. I, I never. Uh, well, I I try some checkerboard patterns, but I'm not really good at them or freehanding or anything. So, yeah, I've just uh, uh, painted him up. I think rather close to the way he looks in the army book in the um just in the in the in the painting section right um so it's grim war most often but i also have the six edition war boss on wyvern that i feel occasionally um i've got uh Wurzark. he was uh, actually one of my first special character Warzark on the board um try to sneak him in with some savage orc boar boys once in a while and in big enough battles although not always as a special character but just as a regular savage orc shaman or great shaman mm. um i am still well, I I started a while ago on the um uh, uh, model and the the orc shaman that was uh, promoted to special character in the idol of Gore campaign and that one is also one that i would really like to uh, give an honorable mention at least uh, maybe even i'll, I'll I, I I think i even dare pick him over over Gorbat uh, because he's just a such a cool relaxed looking model um he uh, He's just standing there with this big bone he carved into a staff and uh, just minding his own business. Uh, no matter what's happening on the battlefield, it's, he, he has this look like it's not going to affect me.
0: That's... I'm here,
1: but you you can't touch me. I'm more powerful than you ever will be. It's, he's probably not, but that's, that's the way I interpret uh, how he looks.
0: Yeah, he's very nonplussed about the whole thing. Yes. I love that model. I, I didn't actually realize it was from that campaign when I originally got that model, because I think by 6th edition, they had kind of repackaged him in a blister as like just a yeah. generic orc shaman.
1: Great yeah, model. Yeah, same, same great, with the great, Goblin Shaman and the Night Goblin Shaman. Right, right,
0: yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that one I have too. That's a great model as well. There, there's really yeah. no duds amongst the orcs and goblins.
1: No, no, you're right. No, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: no, that's a... Very good pick. That's a little off-the-board pick, too. I like it. That's really good. Alright, GJ. Last question for you today. And, uh, this, this one is a matter of life or death, actually. So, where would you rather be lost? Athol Loren, the Chaos Wastes, or Lustria? And this is you
1: as GJ. Ooh. Yeah, there's no good option. Um, no, there's no good option. Definitely not. No, I think... I would probably die the quickest in Lustria, so I'm going to say that. DJ's <laughs> G- G- <G's> all <laughs> just about get me out of here. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I-, I don't know if, if um, assuming that I survive for a while, uh, Ethel Lauren is a scary place. Lots of, of scary things happen there. There's this story in the Bretonian Army book about. Uh, at least in the timeline about this guy who gets lost in the woods and uh, then he he returns about a thousand years later thinking he's only been away a couple of hours, stuff like that. Uh, I mean, it would be awful just to come back and to notice that everything and everyone that you ever knew and loved has long since passed away. And I'm not sure what chaos wastes would do to me. I'll probably turn into a spawn before you can blink your eyes, uh, and I don't think that's going to be a really favorable fate in the long run. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, I think Lustria is going to be the safest pick, just simply because everything out there is, is is only out to kill you. All
0: right. You know what? I can't argue that logic. In Lustria, yeah, at least you know something's gonna eat you. That's that's really what's gonna happen. The other two are a little bit more wild card. Now I've I went a different way on this one. I chose the Chaos Wastes. I knew you would. Yeah, yeah. Well, firstly, I sold my soul to the dark gods about a millennia ago, so there's that. <laughs> the second one is I just think the Chaos Wastes. You're going to have the possibility of anything happening and, and yeah, you're probably going to die and it's probably going to be horrible, but what a place to travel, what a place to wander, right? Like if you're, you know, and at least with the wastes, I mean, there are some mountain ranges, there's that kind of thing, but there's a lot of flat ground too. So, you know, maybe, maybe you get a a chance to, to run or hide from something that's, that's trying to uh, do terrible things to you. But for me, I, if if I have to choose between like the certain death of Lustria and and probably eaten by something that's gonna like really creep me out before it eats me too like some kind of giant insect or uh, that kind of thing or Athel Loren, which is just yeah like something's gonna happen to you in Athel Loren and it's probably gonna be like the worst thing ever i actually kind of more scared of athelorn than the other two places you know if i if i come out of or if i come out of the chaos waste and you know i've got a second head or a third arm or i've got spider legs or something you know i'm still going to be counting my lucky stars and you know i'm going to try and make a go of it right but I I just think the chaos waste with all of its its intrinsic weirdness is the best place for me, <laughs> if I'm gonna be just wandering alone. Uh, I mean, the the real answer is you're you're just dead either way, any way you go. But it's it's really the getting there, right? It's the journey, not the destination.
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, cool. oh, that's a good answer. Yeah, I can get behind that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just the the reason I didn't pick Chaos Waste is because um with this Border Prince campaign that my buddy and I are running, um I I am playing a Chaos Army and I decided to uh take a leave out of your book and give my Chaos champion the uh, some some reason to roll on those D1,000 tables. Oh in yeah the realms of chaos books. So I devised the following system that uh, he is a, a warrior of chaos undivided. So he starts with one gift and one attribute. And uh, I'm not going to represent these on the model. These, these have no effects in game. This is just what ha- what's happening to this model due to how he's performing. So every time he survives a battle, wins a battle, or kills an enemy character, uh, like a hero or lord, he will um, get to roll on the Chaos Gift table. And if I get to roll for one of the gods, I'm just going to randomize which of the gods has has drawn his attention, uh, which of the gods' attention he has drawn. And every time he is slain in battle or uh, loses a battle, he gets another Chaos attribute. And then at some point he will turn into a spawn and that will... uh, uh, Yeah, I can then, if I want to feel that spawn, I can of course have to buy and pay the points for it and have a rare slot and everything. And then I'll just... uh, have this new chaos hero uh, coming up out of the ranks uh, miraculously being the same model and having the same name and everything so this this chaos hero of mine and you know that uh, you need six gifts to become a demon prince and you need um six uh, attributes to become a spawn right mm-hmm. so guess how many attributes my chaos hero has after just playing one battle
0: five and three quarters
1: almost no he's at four um, oh, no <laughs> he, 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 he rolled on the on the rewards table and that turned out an, to be an attribute and then he lost the battle and he was killed so there was two more attributes there so now he's got like a uh, uh spines uh, growing out of his back and uh, for some reason he's a magician. Um. He's got, uh, I don't, I don't remember what else he got. So uh, then I told my buddy how he was looking and he was saying, uh, yeah, well, uh, at least he doesn't have a bird face yet. And then I told him, no, you have to roll this and this and this, and then he gets a bird face <laughs> and he was like, wow, they really thought of everything. Haven't they?
0: <laughs> yeah. They really made that a thorough chart. It's fun too, because the ease at which you get chaos attributes is really a feature instead of a bug because the road to spawn them, of course is much easier than the road to yes. demonhood so it's interesting to see that he's already that far along and uh yeah i if i was a betting man gj i wouldn't get too attached <laughs> no no <laughs> at no, least no, not to him not. in his current form no keep him no, as a pet th- as a spawn
1: yeah this is just going to be uh something fluffy about what happens with this guy during this campaign because I do love rolling on those random tables. Also for the Border Princess chart, you got to roll a D66 and that determines which territory comes up. So um, yeah, just uh, those things that let the dice decide. That's uh, really awesome. But I think that's also the reason why I like Giants so much.
0: Yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> that's a great story. I love that you're using that chart. That's my, it's my favorite chart. I always say it whenever I do those episodes. I think it should be in every Warhammer game. Yeah. Ah, this has been so good. This is, see, we have gotten through the tough questions of Warhammer Fantasy today. Buddy, unless you've got anything else that you want to hit on today, I think we are about good to wrap this one up.
1: Yeah, let's wrap it up. That's okay. All right. We'll uh, have plenty of other stuff to talk about in the future, I guess.
0: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We got some some good plans. I think we're going to have some good ones for the summer. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And until next time, have a great week.